0: don't be a member of my club. I miss my son daily. And the fact is he was a good kid. And I did think not my kid. And you know what, here I am.
1: After losing her son, Audrey Romine to suicide in May of this year, Paula Jordan is determined to use her experience to make sure others don't have to go through the same thing. She's our guest on this episode of Win This Year.
2: Drugs and alcohol,
0: bullying,
1: unhealthy relationships, depression,
0: internet safety, substance use, body image,
2: self-injury, suicide,
0: anxiety, social media, kids, pre-teens, parenting, middle school, high school, Adolescents. teens,
1: coping skills, self-care,
2: relationships, strategies, life skills, prevention, solutions, help,
1: hope, leadership,
0: insight, information,
1: inspiration. You're listening to Win This Year the official podcast of Not My Kid, a prevention nonprofit focused on inspiring positive life choices by helping kids, parents, families, and those who work with youth. Informative. Interesting. Inspiring. Win this year. Welcome to Win This Year. I'm Shane Watson, Public Information Officer and Prevention Specialist for Not My Kid. For those not familiar with Not My Kid, we are a Scottsdale, Arizona based national 501c3 nonprofit focused on prevention education for adolescents, parents, and those who work with youth. Our programs include an early intervention program called Project Rewind, teaching Botvin life skills sessions for freshmen at local high schools, facilitating assist and safe talk suicide intervention workshops, and performing prevention education presentations for youth and adults on the topics of substance use, bullying, internet safety, body image, relationships, depression, self-injury, and suicide. More information on our organization can be found on our website at notmykid.org, that's notmykid.org, or on Facebook under Not My Kid. And for those not familiar with the idea of win this year, it's a concept and a phrase used by one of our co-founders, Debbie Moak. We as parents often get overwhelmed looking at the entirety of our child's life, thinking we have to get everything perfect forever. Win This Year simplifies the process by narrowing the scope down to one school year or one year of your child's life, focusing on what you can do right now. And with this podcast, we are hoping to bring you insight, information, and inspiring guests who are able to offer experience, strategies, and solutions to benefit parents, educators, families, and anyone else who works with or interacts with youth. Win this year is brought to you by First Check. First Check home drug tests help you protect loved ones from the risks of drug abuse. First Check is the number one pharmacist-recommended brand. It detects up to 14 illicit and prescription drugs and provides over 99% accurate, easy-to-read results in just five minutes, all in the privacy of your home. Go to firstcheckfamily.com and use code WINTHISYEAR to save on your order. September 10th is World Suicide Prevention Day, and National Suicide Prevention Week is September 8th through the 14th. Therefore, this episode will be focused on suicide and, more specifically, suicide prevention and intervention. Please know that's the topic we'll be discussing in this episode, including some real life experiences. Therefore, it's important that anyone listening know in advance that this is indeed a serious topic. That said, it's also important to know that we're discussing suicide for a very positive reason. That reason is the fact that we can do something about suicide. We can make an effort to prevent it or intervene if an individual is having thoughts of suicide. We can be there for them. Most of all, we can listen to them. Therefore, we hope that after listening to this episode, you feel empowered and better equipped with knowledge that will better prepare you to potentially help someone with thoughts of suicide. Paula Jordan has served her community for over 18 years. She is a parent, family mediator, divorce care facilitator, and founder of the Lalo Boy Foundation. She joins us now on Win this year. Paula. thank you so much for sharing your time with us.
0: Thank you for your invite. I appreciate it.
1: When I heard about your story and your son's story and every subsequent time I've read about it or I've seen it on the news, the thing that stands out to me the most every single time is who your son was as a human being, the things I'm hearing mentioned, the words I'm hearing used about how incredible he was, who was your son, who was he as a person.
0: Well, I'm actually coming to learn a lot about my son. Sometimes when you're raising a teenager, you think you know your child, but I learned a lot from a lot of his close friends. Um, I've been able to have a sit-down, do dinner, lunch with them, and they're just being real and transparent. In their words, they talk about how they he was a very helpful person. Um, he has helped them with physics, and they're, they're studying, um, whether it's math, uh, science, even studying for the SAT. Um, that is who he was. And he has actually been um, a mentor since first grade. The teachers of over the years from first grade to eighth grade um, put him in that capacity to, to help other kids, if you will. So that was how he was trained up, and it made him feel good. It made him feel um, important. Um, in his ninth grade going into high school, I said, you know, maybe we should consider maybe helping these other groups or be a tutor at the school, and he's basically Don't tell me what to do. I want to figure it out. I'm going to do it my way. Well, it was after his death that I found out from his friends that um, there was a line of uh, 30 people at the wake that basically said he helped me in science, he helped me in physics, he helped me in this. And it was bittersweet um, to know that the person that we raised was still kind and giving. Um, He wouldn't show that to us at home because he is a teenager, Um, but. It was really heartwarming to know that's how his friends see him. They say that he was humble. He wasn't boastful. Um, we had to work with him because he's so smart. Um, we wanted to make sure that he is humble and, and helpful, and uh, that's, that's how his friends describe him. And there was one of his special friends, William, who was a salutatorian in 2018 at Chandler High. He's the one that shared a story that really touched my heart immensely. Um, William knew my son since eighth grade, And the both of them made a pact that they were going to be the valedictorian salutatorian. And I was wondering what that was all about. So William proceeded to tell me what happened. And so they basically lined it out. And Andrea would say, you know what, um, I'm going to be valedictorian and you're going to be salutatorian. And William said, wait a minute, I'm going for valedictorian. He says, "Okay, sure. So in the freshman year, Audre planned it all out where he took extra classes. Instead of just the six, he took two classes, one before school and one after school to make sure that he secures his position. So come sophomore year, he says, so you got to keep up with the plan because you're salutatorian. He says, man, I told you. He says, too late. I've already um, – I've got a shoe – I'm a shoe-in. I've I've done the work and this is where we're at. So when um, William declined a little bit, he says, you're not owning up to the plan, man. You got to stick with the plan. So basically he was the salutatorian. They did make um honor the pact from 8th grade and they motivated each other and did that and he was in tier, he was very emotional to say that I owe my success to to Adrio. I I just think that was such a special bond but that just demonstrates the type of person that he was because he's, he he motivates people. Sometimes in a negative way, but then there's also the positive way and a lot of the friends that from school, they did express it in that way.
1: That's what I had read. Not only was he a high achiever in terms of what he accomplished himself, but what he was able to bring, how he was able to bring the best out of other people, a true leader in that sense. And I also saw that he graduated with a 4.9 GPA, is that correct, from Chandler High? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And then went on, he graduated at the age of 16, is that correct?
0: That is correct.
1: And then where did he go on from Chandler High?
0: So, he um, got a um, presidential scholarship over at ASU Barrett. So, he went to Barrett for pre med. So, he completed his first year and did really well.
1: And where did it go from, from there? Obviously, you know, I've read about how the story continues from there. What were the circumstances around um, Audrey's suicide? What, what happened? What changed between that trajectory he was on pre med? 4.9 GPA valedictorian to what ended up happening in May of this year. What do you know that surrounded that circumstance?
0: So, you know, he, he died on May 11th, the day um, before Mother's Day. And he was, um, there was a trip that was booked on May 7th to go to Oregon to see his grandmother. Um, he was going to be there till the 11th and then coming home. So, you know, it was just uh, him and his sister going to have some bonding time, going to be with grandma. Everything was seemed normal. Um, so there, there's nothing that has lent itself to that there was an issue. Um, before he did leave, he says, Mom, I want to live at home again. Um, would it be okay my sophomore year to live at home? I, I don't want to live on the dorm. I said, absolutely, you're welcome to stay at home. So he planned his classes. He planned his classes for sophomore year and everything. So everything just seemed just totally normal. Um, and so there was a conversation in early April that, um, Two days after he died, there was a um, weird message that came through when I was in Oregon after his death. And the message said, a text message that said, Well, I haven't heard from you. I guess we know what, what happened. I hope that you found the piece you were looking for. So my sister swiped it, and we read the and we went all the way to the beginning of the conversation, and it was in early April. So there was an adult that had influence over my son, who was a minor. Um, about self harm and suicide, so I'm not going to excuse the, the fact that my son did have ideas of of suicide. Um, as you know, weeks turned out afterwards, just to know that it was on his mind. Um, so I'm not saying that this was coercion or bullying, um, but the person on the on the Reddit, um, it's a it's called Suicide Watch, and Suicide Watch. There's over 136 or 139 thousand members that participate in there. These are people that are not well, that are suicidal, they're depressed, and it's just being able to vent what it is that you're truly feeling. And I think that's normal to talk about it and talk with people that will understand you. It's another thing to be a predator um, and preying on, on people that are vulnerable. Um, this particular person was an adult, and during that conversation, there was 390 screenshots from early April to the date of his death. And with that, this person um, in five, four or five areas said that, but you're 17. So there was no misunderstanding that he knew that he was a minor. And all of that communication, my son didn't have all the answers, so he's asking him, you know, like, what's the best method to do this? Does it matter what size gun I use, size bullet that I use, or should I go through the mouth, or should I go to the temple or the back of the head? What would be the best way to ensure that this happens? So this person did answer all of his questions and then some. And um, with talking with the police and everything, because there is actually um, three jurisdictions involved. There was Oregon, the Sheriff's Department. There was the Chandler Police Department because we're Chandler resident, and the conversation started in Chandler. And the person on Reddit was from Fremont, California. And I, I'm i pretty sure that he's from there just by the, the line of um, communication and all of that to really – to lend itself that he's from there. So I talked to all three agencies and also cyber crimes and also the FBI, not a, not, a, not a pencil pusher. I talked to an agent. And in doing that, I expressed about what I found and all. And they basically said that their hands are tied, that there's nothing that can be done simply because there is no law on the books for an adult to talk to a minor about self-harm or suicide. But- There are multiple countries, and I'm looking into them all right now. Mexico, it's against the law. Costa Rica, it's against the law. In Ecuador, it's against the law. I have someone in the Philippines that is going to provide me the law there. I've got someone working on Canada, and I have someone working on Spain. So if these countries can see that it is illegal, then why isn't the United States doing something? So our culture's changed. We need to change with the times to protect these kids
1: and this wasn't just an adult discussing the fact that your son was having thoughts of suicide this was someone giving suggestions on methods and what would be the most lethal and things like that and and there is nothing that you can do at this point legally to to pursue that individual
0: nothing i can pursue because a lot of these people hide um hide behind the ip addresses and after ninety days, I guess it, it uh, the IP address is no longer um, available, and so it makes it very hard because I, I believe Reddit has removed them, but it, nothing is to stop them to start another user and another email and and become a an, you know another entity. So the the people that are on there that really need help, um, this person proves that he has suicide uh, ideation and all of that, and I do believe he's got some issues. But at the same time, he had more than enough information, um, especially the day the day before and the day of his death, that he. we always tell our kids out there and for people that are listening that we have to educate our kids about not giving their name, not giving their school, not naming their neighborhood, or any of those kinds of things that will point to where they actually are. Unfortunately, my son broke those rules. He was old enough to know better, and we've educated for a long, long time. But we have to say it more than once, so that's one thing I didn't do, but... He said, my name is Adrio, and he said his name is George. Adrio's name is a very unusual name. It's easy to find. The guy knew he was a valedictorian, so he knew that he was from Arizona. He said he was from Fremont. Um, He knew that he was in Klamath County. He said he was in Bernie. I'm only 100 miles from you. This is the day of his death, he says. He says this information. The man had the ability to report and call 911. And for many of you out there – I called 911 from Arizona and they patched me to Oregon, to 911 in regards to this incident with my son. So it can be done and you can help people from wherever you're at, it'll take a little time. So he could have made a phone call and said, we have an active person right now that is in a bad state of mind and calling 911 and reporting that. Um, And he did not. And that to me, it's what the cops are saying is it's a moral issue. It's not a law issue and that I need to talk to the lawmakers. Um, to, to help change this law. So that's what my – there's I could use that help if any lawmakers, if anybody have any connections to contact me because I have a lot that I can share. But this has to change. This has to change because the kids are so vulnerable on the internet and they don't know who they're talking to.
1: Beyond the ability to pursue or prosecute someone like that who is not only – not reporting the fact that they know someone who has intent and has the means and has the plan, but even encouraging that beyond the ability to prosecute someone like that, what would you like to see done? What can be done differently on the internet, on social media, with regard to people who are having thoughts of suicide or have expressed that online on social media?
0: Well, right now, what I know from Instagram and um, and Facebook, they've changed the last couple of years in regards to, you know, those. um you know, those keywords, Reddit doesn't have that, and Reddit does need to change. They won't even take any calls with the police or anybody investigating, of course, and they're in San Francisco. I'd actually personally like to talk to them myself, but they don't have any kind of reporting. There is no governing what is on there, so there's no key searches to to ping to let authorities know that somebody's in, in danger, someone's in an issue. I'd like to see that change, not only on that platform, but in all platforms, that there are kids that have the possibility of being exposed to those areas. Um, that's going to take time and money, but um, that's what needs to happen. Um, I would like to see that the law has been in all in these three um, states on their jurisdiction for the duty to report. Duty to report has to do with people that are working with families. You've got the legal teams, you've got medical, you've got counselors, educators. I myself have a duty to report, um, but that law is applicable to the, these professionals. Um, if you and me as a citizen on the street off off hours, we see somebody in a situation, that's a moral issue. It's not a law issue. That's what I'm coming to understand, which is really disheartening because it's, you know, where do we stand here when, when we see someone getting hurt? Um, but you don't really have to pick up the phone. And that has to change. So you got that duty to report, and then you got the part where if somebody is on the internet and you can see that something's wrong, is that somebody either goes to that platform like Reddit and say, hey, there's a live person right here. They are in trouble, and at least doing their part so they can sleep at night. But people are not doing that.
1: And we've noticed that as well with Snapchat in particular. particular, Our uh, youth speaker program, Amplify, When our youth facilitators go out and they speak at middle schools or high schools, they give out our Amplify social media. It's directed at middle school and high school students. And occasionally they will reach out to us on there if they are having thoughts or feelings of suicide. On our Amplify Snapchat, we have had uh, multiple times, we've had young people uh, reach out to us and indicate that they are having thoughts of suicide – it's really difficult for us to get any identifying information on them unless they're giving that. And when we have brought that to the attention of admins on Snapchat, nothing is done. There's no response, there's no plan in place, and it's not acceptable anymore. With our young people, with preteens and teens and young adults spending the amount of time that they do on the internet and on social media, we need to have some type of contingency plan because this is going to continue to happen until we do something differently.
0: Well, also there's that program um, Bark that's out there that monitors 22, 23 applications. I wish I had that years ago, um, but that is, uh, I mean, we're not endorsing or no, no one's paying us to say Bark, but that's one of the ones that that stands out to mind right now. But if um, if if anything is is just having some kind of parent control, not only on computers, tablets, but also on the cell phones, um, there are some applications out there like Custodio that I did use with my son. Um, on his tablet and then on his um, computer and on his uh, laptop, cell phone. Um, And that way I did get messages. If he was on a porn site or something like that that was inappropriate, I would get a message to let me know. So it's at least take the first step in, in, in doing that.
1: Bark is definitely one of the types of monitoring software that we advocate. There's so many different good ones out there. And there's a lot of parents that I've met that are hesitant to do that. I've had a lot of parents tell me, you know, my son's a great kid or my daughter's a great kid. I believe that they are. I believe that they are wonderful children, but even the best, the brightest, the most loving and conscientious can still make impulsive decisions. You know, until 25, the brain's not developed. The last part to develop controls, impulsive behavior, anticipates risk. So it's not a matter of whether or not you're a good parent or you have a great kid. It's a matter of the fact that they're still young and they are prone to not only making impulsive decisions, but as we saw with your son, brilliant kid was susceptible to manipulation from a grown adult who should have known better through Reddit.
0: Absolutely. And suicide does not discriminate. That's the thing. And I I think it's easy for people to say, not my kid. Um, I have, you know, with what I do for a living, I work with families that are going through divorce and they – we have to discuss regarding co-parenting. And I cannot tell you, 10 out of 10 of my parents, that's all of them, they have no idea about parent controls. They do not have parent controls. And – It's a really hard conversation to have with them. I said, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to equip you. But this is a really serious matter. So I'm helping to start the conversations there. Um, But what I'm hearing that some of the kids, uh, some of the parents as you're indicating is that my kid is good. They're responsible. They get good grades. And you know what? I applaud you. And that's great. Um, And recently in some of my cases, I, I try not to go into my personal life, but I have a responsibility to talk about what I do know, and I don't. I stay maybe there for two or three minutes, and it really shocks them. Um, I, I'm doing that be just to to wake them up. But the fact that their kid is is good, that's all fine and dandy. But they don't have any boundaries, and they won't talk to me. They'll act out and whatever. And I said the last time I checked, you're the parent. You need to take your your parenting skills back. Two, you pay the bill. You pay the mortgage they are there till 18 Your responsibility responsibilities to keep them safe provide them shelter and to feed them and to educate them and all of that the cell phone is a privilege and not a right and i think a lot of parents misunderstand that and they need to take that back
1: definitely when you say that you are the parent they are the child what really stands out to me is when i did an internet safety presentation at a school and we advocate as part of the prevention plan certain rules Things like the phone gets docked in the parent's bedroom overnight. The kids can't take it into a closed room. There's, It's a list of things like that. I had a mom come up to, up to me after the presentation, and she indicated to me that she had a 12-year-old daughter. She enjoyed the presentation. She said, can you remind me, what was that list of the things that you advocate? So I'm going through this list, and as I'm doing this, I can see the look on her face changing, and she's shaking her head, and I'm thinking maybe she doesn't understand. So she stops me about midway through, and she says, oh, no. She would never let me do that. And I'm thinking it's exactly like you said. This is a 12-year-old girl and this is an adult. And and unfortunately, there are some parents that are more concerned with being their child's friend than they are with being their parent. We should want to be our child's friend. We should want a harmonious relationship. But it's like you said, in order to keep them healthy and safe and alive, sometimes we need to take those steps that maybe aren't fun in the short term.
0: Right. There's a term that I hear about, the helicopter parent. And taking back the phone and having boundaries for kids, it's not, because, it's not a helicopter parent or a hovering parent. It's a caring parent. Let's talk about how we were kids 30 years ago and how we were raised. We need to go back to those principles. Those principles worked then and they can work now. We have social media that we're throwing into it. And again, parents, these are privileges and not rights. Don't be a member of my club. I miss my son daily and the fact is he was a good kid and I did think not my kid and you know what here I am and so my message to parents is that you are the parent they might not they might act out for 24 hours and you just got to explain to them if you need to show some screenshots and whatnot I'm going to be sharing those they'll be they'll be available to you but we have got predators that are very specific in nature that are taking over our kids minds I'm not saying every application is bad But we do need to have time limits. After 9 o'clock, why do they need to be on social media? They need to be preparing for the next day of school and going to bed early. T-Mobile, I know, has a parenting, um, have web guards and um, time constraints on there. I think Verizon, um, lots of your phone carriers have them. It's like $5. Even if it's $10 a month, it's worth the kid's life. Um, So for me, when I implemented that program years ago, it actually gave me back my sanity I don't have to micromanage my kids. And when they're in school, they weren't allowed to text while they're, while they're in school. So that's what I love those, parent, uh, those time constraints that are in there because when they're in school, they're there to learn. After 9, they need to be in bed or studying. Um, they don't need to be texting their friend or going online. So you can still allow them to have access, but they just have limits. And boundaries are always good for the kids. When they're 18, they're going to do what they want anyway.
1: Definitely. It's not about taking the social media away entirely because that's the world that they're living in for better or worse. It's not going away. In order to be successful students or employees down the road, they're going to need to understand that technology. But it's like you said, until they are at the age where they can self-regulate in the correct way, we need to do that for them. And you hit on something so key – where a lot of parents are hesitant about the pushback they're going to get if they use monitoring software or they set limits. Like you said, maybe it'll last a day, a week. It's unpleasant. We as parents need to be willing to deal with that little bit of unpleasantness or uncomfortability in the short term to save us a lot of time and trouble and heartache in the long run. And that's what I'm seeing is, is I'm seeing some hesitance from some parents to be to have that uncomfortability in the short term. So we've talked about what we as parents, what we need to do, and a lot of this comes back to what we need to do as parents. However, what would you like to see done differently with schools? How would you like to see schools approaching this topic in order to prevent suicides? What can be done at that level?
0: Well, regarding schools, I will I will commend our educators out there. Um, I think that our teachers are overworked, overscheduled, and so much commitment, and I, I can name a handful of teachers that have impacted my lives. And I know that there are kids out there that have been, you know, significantly impacted. So putting more on their plate is is just not really necessarily an option. But what I would like to see is that the allocation of the funding that the, the, the school districts are getting for um, for their schools, that they would actually put away some of this money for um, mental um wellness, if you will, because there's not enough talked about it. I know that I mentioned recently with one of our superintendents about the um, health class. Um, Take, for instance, with health, um, they might have a segment that they're talking about mental wellness. It's going to be, it's kind of one and done, and it's brushed over, and they're not having any deep, deep discussions. My recommendation to the district is that they would take that discussion on a double block day where they have two hours, because that's not a subject to be brushed over. It needs to be discussed. Um, And for parents that don't want their kids to be involved, the question is why? Because um, let's face it, when we were all teenagers, we might not all have suffered from depression, but we had the blues and we got upset. We lost friends. Someone doesn't like me. Someone bullied me. Things weren't going right when you were a teenager. You guys need to get right with your kids and start opening up about what it was like, what you went through as a teenager. Because you, I can guarantee you, you had your blue moments. So why are we afraid to talk about the kids? Talk to the kids about that. Why is the school afraid to talk about that? I know there's a little bit of pushback with some parents about them really delving into that com- communication. The question is why. So you know the schools want to talk about it in part, and then they don't. Education is great, but what about the kids that are missing school, that have chronic illnesses, or have an IEP that, you know, they need special um, accommodations? Um, They suffer from depression because life isn't what they want it to be. They're ill, and they're missing school. So, you know, we need to be paying attention to them. We need to pay attention as a whole to all of them, but we need to set our egos aside and not just only focus on a- academics. But if we can work on their wellness, the academics will come. And regarding the parents that are um, that are the bullies or, or not standing behind the teachers like they used to do back thirty years ago, parents need to be supporting their teachers. They're taking everything that they say the kids um, face value. They need to make sure that the kids are being accountable to advocate for themselves when they have a matter. They need to advocate for themselves, and then if they don't get the response or help that they need at school, then they go to reinforcements to go to the parents and talk to them. But the kids truly need to be a hundred percent transparent and being truthful. Um, and I and I think there's there's where the breakdown is. Parents are doing a lot for the kids, and kids aren't doing it for themselves. So it's going to be a community effort and an educator's effort. But the educators, we just we do need to be transparent and talking about it with the kids. If we see someone that's off. Maybe they're they're having an off days, okay, but just checking in with them, dialing in with them, making sure they feel important. Let's not le- neglect them because, you know, that conversation could be super impactful. We don't know what these kids are going through at home in their home life. Um, if they're struggling from school, okay, parents out there, are you, are you pushing your kids to go into rigor programs that they're not prepared for? There's a lot of self-examination that we need to do. And so if we can have those conversations and allow the kids to make some of these decisions about their education, you'll be surprised how transparent they will be to say, "You know what? I don't want to take AP. I it's I struggled in the, you know, in junior high. It was too much for me." Kids aren't given the space to be real honest with their parents because they don't want to be shamed or they don't want to be disappointing to them.
1: That's a big one with the kids that we've met. The amount of external and internal pressure that they're feeling is unbelievable. I've talked to junior high kids that are already talking about what university they have to get into. And it's not that I want to get into this, I have to do this. And these are 12, 13-year-old kids, and that's the weight of the world on them. And we need to be aware that they're not only feeling that, but it's exactly like you said, we need to talk about this with them. If we've gone through something, if we've experienced something, and we share that, we open up to that child, that is powerful. The moment that you find out you're not alone with what you're feeling and what you're going through, you suddenly don't feel weird. You don't feel strange. And that's exactly what they need because part of the reason that our young people or people in general are not speaking up and saying that I'm hurting, they're afraid of being labeled as weak or strange or less of a person. The more that we can speak up and say, hey, I went through that too. I know what that feels like the more that those who need help can find the ability to say, you know what, I am hurting right now. And I absolutely completely agree with you. We need to have those conversations, like you mentioned, at the school level during those you know, health classes, mental health, but then definitely as families as well.
0: As parents, we have to support our educators. We, we just do, because if you think about the, the student-to-teacher ratio, it's out of this world. Also, counselors-to-teacher ratio. I know that um, in Chandler... Uh, Chandler district, there's eight hundred to one. And that is just unconceivable. And we need we need other resources out there. And so the the going to the college bit that you're talking about, I'm having these conversations when we're doing the co parenting talk when when the parents are going through divorce. And they are even telling me that the, my kid's gonna go to my alma mater and so on. That is a lot of pressure. And and the fact is parents need to take a step back. Because maybe the kids only want to go to junior high, and they can transfer into university. Some, the one statement that I will make is that just because they graduate doesn't mean the child is ready to be an adult. And that was my son, and that is a lot of the kids out there. They're not ready to be adult. It's scary. So they're worried about pleasing mom and dad. And they're worried about, where's the money going to come from? My grades aren't good enough, and I'm not going to get a scholarship. And I'm a failure in their eyes. That's what they're thinking, and that's what I hear. I mean, I've talked with other young people since my son has died, and 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 finding out these pressures they're under is it's it breaks my heart, honestly. Um, my my son was self motivated. My daughter was pretty self motivated. Um, they determined the schools that they wanted to go into, um, and their academic is there alone. Um, we never had to push them. Um, if they got a seat, fine, you know. Um, But at the end of the day, they they have to own what they did. And if they need help, they need to ask. They just don't want to ask. And and you can feel for them. It's just the the thing is, is when we're transparent and we're telling them, hey, we get you. We were in your shoes. I did get blue days. I I did get bullied. Um, Those kinds of things. Then they're going to think, you know what? My mom and my dad, they get me. So that opens the door for them to come to you for more. Um, but you got to open up that door, get out of your cell phones. And you um, be at eye level with your kids. If your kid is laying down on the bed, lay next to them. If the, you guys are in the car, you're shoulder to shoulder. And when you have drive time to go to practice and to school, man, you guys are missing out on an opportunity if you're not taking advantage of it. I love that time is the drive time. I remember times that I got them the, the recommendation late. But if they're on the floor sit on the floor. If you stand above them, it's already a, it's a, it's a point of superiority. And I thought that was the best advice by being eyeball to eyeball. And I found really some meaningful conversations when you're eye to eye. Lay next to them. Sit next to them. Talk to them. Just have a meal, but don't expect to have them just tell you everything. They'll do it on their own terms, but they just want to know that you are there.
1: Definitely. Meet them where they're at. Show them with your posture, your body language, your facial expression, your tone of voice, as much as with your words, that you're there with them. I know that sometimes the signs that someone may be suicidal can be incredibly subtle. They can be easy to miss. Sometimes it's not a glowing neon sign. I want parents or educators or any other adults working with youth listening to this to understand this. In hindsight, is there anything Audrio said Setter did which stands out to you differently now? And if so, what?
0: That's a great question. Um, so when I learned about the signs of, of suicide and more after the fact, um, I really didn't see the signs because he was an introvert. He was very quiet. Um, he loved to play video games. And I had a lot of comments of people saying the video games caused it you know what, that's not necessarily true, and that could be for a separate conversation. I have a lot to say about video games. There's positive and good about it. but um, So it was normal for him to play video games for years that, that he did do that. He also you know, goes to the movies and, and does things with his family. Um, but he just didn't have a ton of friends that he hung out with and that kind of a thing. But he did have quite a, a, a circle of friends um, at school. So one of the things that looking back at it nail is that he did sleep a lot. That's one of the symptoms. But he is like myself i'm a napper so taking naps was a normal thing but looking at it now i can see the long lengths of naps erratic times he would sleep um and then there was about maybe three weeks ago prior to his death that um i said hey i noticed you weren't playing video games why is that what's going on he says i don't like video games and i said that's kind of strange um and so uh, I thought about it and there were times after he played Destiny and he finished the game or whatever it may be, he would binge watch um, Prince of Bel-Air or anime or he would just binge watch for weeks and that was normal. So I figured that's what he was doing. So I didn't pay any mind to that. Now looking at it, that was a sign for me. Um, Him sleeping excessively, that's a sign. Him, um, he was never a real good eater. I mean, not that he was a picky eater. He just didn't eat on a consistent basis. And I noticed that his eating patterns were substantially changed because I do cook well. So I make his favorites. And those times when I make those, yes, he eats super well. But if he had to go feed himself, forget about it. He's lazy. He isn't going to do it. Um, So that was him. And that was normal. But his eating habits um, and even reading through the dialogue that I was reading, he would go without a couple of days of eating. And I didn't know that. So he was a college student, and I can't micromanage him and I'll, um, always make sure there's food available and that I would cook, and we'd have meals together, and we did. So when he lived with me, we wouldn't eat five times out of seven. We'd have dinner together at the table. So those were some of those signs. But honestly, um, Katie McPherson, she's uh, an expert, um, a prevention um, advocate, she was telling me uh, with, with the symptoms and everything that I've described, she says he flew under the radar. He is just one of those special cases that significantly that nothing came out with amber lights you know to say that there's a problem um, and she says that uh, simply that that is really I mean it can happen but Audrey really did fall, fall under the radar but there was a recent article I read it's called concealed depression and that article I read about three weeks ago and that was spot on it was really spot on and it really described my son and in that article it talks about the multiple masks that they do wear And being that he was gifted and so smart, it was like a game. It was so deep that no one's going to know on the surface. Even um, his best friends, a couple of his best friends didn't even know. People that he gamed with, a couple of them knew that he was negative, but they, you know what I mean, they just didn't know. So um, there were a couple people that did know, but the problem was is they put the friendship before the person. And we have to put the person before the friendship. So I can't say even if they told me that it would have saved him, but at the bottom line is that you do have to talk. And for 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 parents out there, if you don't think this is happening, the kids are talking to kids. They're not talking to parents, uncles, aunts, teachers, pastors. They're not talking to adults. So please put your pride aside if there is a trusted friend, a trusted uncle, give permission to your child to speak with a trusted adult that you trust but let you know hey if I'm uh, if you're you know if you don't want to talk to me sometimes I get it I didn't always want to talk to my parent because let's face it we all didn't want to talk to our parent but you know what if you want to talk to an adult you know talk to aunt sue or talk to so-and-so give them suggestions plant the seed that would be step one in the right direction and at least the kid is talking to someone other than a a child because they are not equipped to handle it but that is the culture that they're living in and they are talking to kids not parents
1: or adults i've noticed that not only are they talking to their peers and that sometimes their peers are are hesitant to say something to an adult i've seen that in situations not only involving suicide i've seen that in situations involving substance use I've met young people who had a friend who was overdosing and they knew they were overdosing and they were afraid to call the ambulance because they were afraid to get in trouble. And it's like you said, we need to place the person above the friendship. The friendship's important, it should be, but keeping that person alive to even be there to have that friendship with is absolutely absolutely crucial. We need to make it clear to our young people, forget about getting in trouble, keep that person alive, keep that person safe. Now, you already mentioned a little while ago when you were talking about you know, opening up to your kids, getting down on their level, sitting where they're sitting, joining them where they're at. You've already kind of mentioned how to create that connection with them, and you've already talked about how sometimes it can be really easy to miss. Sometimes you don't notice those signs right there on the surface. Sometimes, especially with certain kids, they can hide it really well. What would your suggestion be to parents, educators, anybody that works with kids as far as how to be vigilant for even the subtle signs or or whatever is there to be able to notice what to look for? What would your suggestions be for them to be able to keep an eye out for things?
0: Well, when they start to withdraw and stop doing their favorite things, um, especially like a teacher, they notice they used to laugh a lot or clown around a lot, or or whatever, and you see that shift in their personality. I mean, parent, I feel that the teachers really do know a lot of these students. Um, So teachers, you know, dial in with them, you know, have them come, uh, take them aside, give them a tardy pass if you need to, an excuse pass, and and just dial in with them to see where they're at, that you notice something. Don't be afraid to do that. Parents, um, regarding, the kid comes to you, a lot of times um, we are well in, the kids and ourselves as adults, we well up with this information that we just want to talk and we want to talk right there and then I can't tell you how many times I've heard and, I, and I've made this mistake myself sometimes but being that I was a self-employed mom I was really there for my kids a lot You know, so they had access to me um, is please don't tell your kids not now later, tomorrow in, when I'm done work what you need to tell them, and, and this is what I did, and it really did help, is that, is, is that give me five minutes. I'm just trying to what, wrap up what I'm doing right now, and I'll meet you in your room. I'll meet you in the living room, or I'll meet you at the dining room, wherever it may be, but that tells them I'm important, she noticed me, he noticed me, and they're going to come see me, and they value me. So um, when you postpone the conversation later, tomorrow, not now, You've told them I'm not important. Other things are taking a precedent over you. And the moment is gone. So when you go revisit that conversation, the moment is past. And that's the biggest slap in the face that you can give to a child. And and so that is the kids, when they want to come and talk to you, one of the kids one of one of the times I remember a long time ago, my daughter said, Mom, all I want you to do is just listen. I don't need you to fix it. And as as a husband and wife, mother and father, we want to fix it. And sometimes we know what we need, but we have to verbalize it. I just want you to listen. I don't want you to fix it. It sounds kind of counterintuitive, but that's what it is. And the kids, they're going to share what they're going to share. But when you start prying or being the uh, investigative reporter, you're going to shut it down. Be careful. They will give you in doses. And you have to respect that because they're trying to test the waters if they can trust you or not. And when you come at them with all these questions, they're, they're, you're, you're just going to put them in a corner and they're going to stop talking. So those were hard lessons for me as a parent to learn. Um, I talk with other parents about you know working with that. Um, I've talked with young kids recently that says, we just want our parents to listen. That's the common denominator. We want them to listen. So rather than listen, we got to, put on our consulting hat. And we are still mom and dad. I'm not trying to say that we're not. But we're consulting because they're trying to spread their wings. They want to make decisions for themselves, but they just want to kind of know what we thought or how did we deal with it back in our day. So we can offer, but just listen to your heart and take the lead of the child. It'll be helpful.
1: Like you said, They often don't want or expect us to solve all of their problems. They just want someone to listen. I facilitate a two-day, 14-hour suicide intervention workshop called ASSIST. It's two days. It's 14 hours. Obviously, there's a lot of content. That's a long workshop. The bulk of the model that we teach out of those 14 hours is a section that has to do with listening. And if you're too busy listening for what you think you're going to hear, what you want to hear, or figuring out what you're going to say next – you're going to miss that really important thing. And like you said, you hit on something so important. If they come to you and they are willing to talk, I don't need to tell the parents out there of teens and preteens how rare those windows and those opportunities can be. That window closes very quickly. If you've got them approaching you, you're not even having to initiate that conversation seize that moment. But like you said, if there's something that you're doing right in that very moment, you can acknowledge, I am absolutely going to set aside that time and space for you. Give me five minutes, let me wrap up what I'm doing here, and we'll talk. And the other thing before we move on, I wanted to note that you said is the barrage of questions. We encourage parents to have family dinners. We encourage them to get to know their kids, find out how things are going. What was your favorite thing about today? What was your least favorite thing? But the one thing I emphasize is please do not hit them with the barrage of questions the moment they walk in the door because I have lost count of how many kids have told me, hey, I love the fact that my mom and dad are trying to get to know me. They want to understand me. That's cool. I need a little space when I walk in the door, like give me 15 minutes, just like we feel a lot of times. You know, When we get home from work, we're tired, we're exhausted we just want a little bit of time and then we're going to be more receptive to that sort of thing there
0: absolutely we, ha- we all need a time to decompress um i was raised with that um with my parents when they came home they didn't want to be bombarded with all kinds of questions so you know just making you know hey i just got home do you want a snack i want a snack and have a seat you know don't have to talk just wait it'll come and then the dinner question, I love that you brought that up because one of the things that we did do when they were they were really young is we would maybe have a question. We used to actually do a Bible verse, and then we would talk about it. Um, we did that for years, and then my kids got older, and they are exploring their faiths and all of that, and I, and I have to respect that, um, that they are not following my path right now, um, but they're trying to spread their wings and figure it out. But that was one of the things I really do miss is those dinner talks. Um, so if you're not having a dinner talk around the table, I want to challenge parents out there to make a cultural change in their family sitting at the round table where everybody's the same. Even if it's an island, I actually don't have a dining room table. I have an island and we, we, are, we could sit around it and have dinner. Um, get back to the basics and having that meal. You, if you're not a good cook, so be it. Go find something at Sprouts. You can whip it up, heat it up, and it'll look, it'll look beautiful and it'll taste really good. The thing is we got to go back to having meals. Going to the restaurants, there's a lot of chaos. There's no quiet space and the kids need quiet space and so do the parents. And so bringing a question or two, hey, you know what? I, I just heard this thing on the radio or I just saw this thing on the radio uh, or the TV. Um, I'm not really sure about this. I'm. You guys are kind of into this thing. Can you guys tell me what this means? Because I'm, I'm just learning. It's okay to parents to be feeling like you're dumb because you know what? The kids will educate you. Give them the opportunity. But if you dumb it down and say, you know what? I'd like to learn and I want to kind of know what it is that you guys are listening to. Hey, what's that? they got their earbuds in. Hey, what are you listening to? And they might put let you listen. Then you have something to talk about. Oh, that sounds kind of cool. You know, you open up that conversation. I don't like all my kids' music, but I, you know, there is actually some that I actually did like, but we would talk about it. So it's a topic of discussion. If you show an interest in, in what they're doing, Man, you know what? You just the the floodgates are going to go open wide open for for the parents to have this communication.
1: Because at that point you're treating them like a person, the person that they are, the individual they are. They're not solely your child. They're their own person at that point. And I've noticed that it doesn't matter what age someone is, they respect when you address them when you treat them like their own individual person. And our kids are people. And sometimes I think it's easy for parents to forget that. And when you take that genu- genuine interest in whatever it is that they're into, you, like you said, they'll light up. They'll they'll tell you about it. I'd like to know um, more about the work that you're doing with the Lallaboy Foundation. What are your goals for that organization?
0: Um, with the Lollaboy Foundation, what I'm hoping to accomplish is that What I've come across with a lot of families is not everybody has medical insurance or proper medical insurance or don't have counseling services. So when they're in a predicament that they're trying to get help from themselves or for their kids, they don't have the money or don't know where to turn. And so what we're wanting to do is be able to scholarship families. Um, The funds that we raise is to give scholarships so that these kids can get counseling. Or family counseling, um, just because that's how how important I believe in counseling. I got I got counseling um, a, as a young adult from trauma, childhood traumas, and I'm not the person today if I was not doing counseling. So that's very very important. Um, so that's really what I'm hoping to do. And then also with those funds is to use to um, do seminars and workshops out there for parents and for students. Um, some of our students are not going to be equipped when they graduate from high school, learning how to do a checkbook, learning um, how to how interest, to get a loan or get a car and all of that. I would like to be able to educate young people about that because I used to be a foster mom years ago. And I heard about the group homes and these kids that are in these groups that don't have this. They don't have a parent. and and that's heartbreaking. So it's a passion of mine to be able to teach. So those funds would be used to do those resources, whether it's to rent a room. I don't, I don't charge for my time. It would strictly be for like, you know, copying and, and facility and, and refreshments and things like that. But I'm going to do that on my off time, but I just won't really feel compassion for these parents because parenting is hard, especially when the child is difficult or if they're going through, um, you know, learning disabilities or going through emotional components and all of that. That's just tough. What I found that kids that act out or have their issues, it's just sometimes there's not an explanation for it or it goes back to the parenting. There's a lot of, you can't just say that's a one size fits all. Everybody has a circumstance, but I think we need to pay attention to the community. And that's really what I'm hoping to do. And uh, interesting enough, I was just in Ecuador in um, July and my cousin actually wants to do a Boy Foundation chapter over there just because he loves what I'm going to be doing so um, you know my son's death can't go in vain he was a a very um, caring person um, to help people so that empower them Um, he was he was a difficult person sometimes I mean just like all teenagers I was as well but at the end of the day he still put people first and when they were sad he would try to empower them and make them feel better the only thing is he wished that more people would have reached out to him, and maybe saw him for what he was going through. But, but again, they don't let you in all the time. So um, that's that's why I'm doing Lala Boy Foundation. Thank you for asking.
1: That's really important. The last thing that you mentioned about he wished more people had reached out to him. You know, a lot of times we put this message out there into the world, and we say, if you're struggling, ask for help. There's people that care about you. We're here to help you, and it's true. But a lot of times we as the people who are not presently hurting, we often need to be the ones to take notice of the person who is hurting and say, hey, I've noticed that you haven't been yourself lately. I've noticed that something seems off. I'm here to listen to you. What you know, What's going on right now? A lot of times we have to take that step because when that person is in that place where they are hurting, sometimes it's difficult for them to even be the one to say the words. It's, you know, sometimes we have to be the one to ask, you know, have you been thinking about suicide? And there's people, you know, it's obviously it's a difficult question to ask, but how much more so is it difficult for that person that's in the midst of those feelings themselves?
0: You bring up a really good point on a couple matters. So to students, what I would say to you is you see a child that's having lunch by themselves or they're sitting in a corner by themselves. Don't worry about what your friends think if, you know, if they think uh, you're weird, you're going to this stranger. You need to put those differences aside and treat others as you want to be treated. I know you've heard that growing up. But you don't know what your words, how your words will impact that person. Um, so, so do that. Act of kindness doesn't cost anything. Um, letting somebody know, hey, I was thinking about you or just saying, you know what, can I give you a hug? I just feel like I should do that and I would love to do that because a hug says a whole lot. And that hug can make all the difference in the world. So um, I think that's just, it, it's, it's just important. Don't, don't worry about what your friends think, but think about the person that's alone. What if you were in that shoes? What would, how would you want someone to respond to you? So, um, and then the other point, um, there's a program that I'm actually looking to endorse. It's um, actually endorse or participate. It's called Bionic. And there's about six teams, and it's all student-led. And um, hopefully in the near future, we will have it here in Arizona so with that bionic program is that there is a welcome committee on campus you can have a lunch committee on campus where if you're alone you have a place to do perry high school's doing it right now they went from two tables to five tables or something like that recently and i think that was phenomenal the program is uh, been around for about 14 years it was started out of colorado and i've already been in communication with the director there and so i'm looking to start a chapter here um, just because we need to change the culture the, if, they're, if if a child is chronically ill and missing a lot of school, there's a team that will meet them at their home and bring them homework and maybe provide tutors or whatever. If someone's being hospitalized, there's also a team for that as well to let them know they're not alone, that someone is thinking of them and you know they have care practice they give them. If there's a school shooting or, or a, a devastating moment in, in, in another state or in the county or whatever, there's a committee for that that would send love and support to them. Um, It's if there is a loss of a child at the school and whatnot, there will be a committee that will be there to also, you know, let them know that they were loved and, you know, and help them through that. Um, It goes on and on. So I really love this program. It's been in effect, like I said, over 13 years. And I'm hoping we can do that very soon in the future to do that and have them in all different campuses. It can be in elementary, junior high, and high school, and they'll be doing a conference early next year. Um, regarding inviting um, their counselors and students so that they are participating in that program and understanding what it is and see if they want to start that culture there. Um, But going back to what you said, not being afraid to ask the question, are you suicidal? You know, um, that is really, really important. I never did ask my son that. I didn't think to. I didn't really think to. Um, My question, my thing would be, don't be afraid to ask your child, "Are you depressed?" You know, and not go straight to the suicidal part, because we need to know if they're depressed and what does that look like, and how often does it present itself, and is there any certain triggers that are causing that depression? And also keep in mind that sometimes these families, um, there is in their lineage there is depression. Don't neglect that, and and make sure that uh, that you put that in the forefront. And get your child evaluated because it could be a genetic component and you can help them. Um, I've seen a lot of good come with getting early intervention and helping the kids, but I wish that I would have known that my son was really depressed. I, I, I could see that he had the blues, but we all had them as, as teenagers and so on. So more or less, don't be afraid to ask your child, are you feeling depressed? You, you just don't seem yourself. I you notice you're sleeping a lot or you're not. your appetite's not been really good. Is there something... That's then then bothering you, Are you stressed about school. Is the is the uh, your teacher okay? Is is the workload too much? Um, is that causing some depression? And then be quiet and listen. Listen, that's going to be key. And then the suicidal component can come later, but don't come out the gate with suicide because you got to find out the depression first and get definitely it, up for it.
1: Absolutely. That's one of the things where people are even afraid to ask about if someone is depressed. They're, they they feel like so many people feel like they don't even know how to approach that subject. And it's one of those things where it's so important that we be direct about that because there's one way to find out whether or not they're going through what we think they might be going through, and that's by asking. When I have met parents, I've met a lot of parents who have lost a child to an overdose. I have met parents who have an adult child incarcerated as a result of uh, drugs or alcohol. I've met parents that have gone through a number of really difficult situations, and when it's been appropriate, I've asked them, you know, if you had it to do over again, what would you do differently? And, and almost every single one of them has told me two things across the board. Number one, I would have trusted my instincts. I saw things that gave me pause, and I didn't approach them. And number two, I would have asked the questions that I was afraid to ask at the time. And we just, you know, it's a conversation. Worst case scenario, and I don't even wanna call it worst case scenario, if we ask, sometimes maybe they tell us no. I think a lot of people are afraid of, if they ask that question, especially with suicide, I know some people are afraid that if they ask that question, they feel like they're going to be planting that idea in someone's head, and that's largely not true. It isn't true. As a matter of fact, if someone is having those feelings, it's often a relief that someone is paying enough attention to notice that they are feeling that way. So that leads me to this question. There's a chance, there's a very real good chance that, that someone listening to this episode may be having thoughts or feelings of suicide. What would your message be to that person or those people?
0: You are here on this earth for a reason. Being a kid is not easy. And you are enough. There may be people telling you that you're not worth it and you're not worthy. Maybe there's some things in your home life that are just not the way that you planned or how you would want them. Maybe you feel that your parents aren't engaging with you and you feel lonely. But you're here for a reason. You are enough. And, you know, the suicide hotline is a 1-800 number. There is even a text line too as well. When I lost my son... There was a conversation before he died, and the girl that tried to save his life said, "Um, let's call a hotline. Let's get some help. My son said, no, it would take too long, and it would cost too much money. The girl responded, I'll pay for it. But the truth is, is help to start the conversation is free. There's a lot of young people out there that don't even understand that the help is actually free. There is no shame. The people that you will talk to won't have judgment, but just love for you. And the things that you're going through, your, your hormones are changing, um, your processes in your mind are changing, and you just don't can't figure it out. Um, some of that's chemical. And it's, it's just that your body's changing, and you can't understand it. You know, we're, your parents... Myself, all of us, we don't all have the answers and we don't always have it together. I think sometimes you young folks were, boy, they have it all together. I don't want to talk to them because they're just going to judge me and they're going to think I'm bad or worthless. That is not the case. We didn't get where we're at to be all together. We had to go through a process just like you. And so I want to encourage you is to reach out to a to a hotline or a trusted adult a trusted uncle aunt or someone um, that your parents know that you've known for years that you can you feel really comfortable to talk to because I promise you that they will hold your hand and they will listen to you and you guys will discuss the next steps and what it is that you're going to do but I'm going to say don't be afraid because there's a lot of people that are just trying to figure out like just like you so hang in there be brave and make a call.
1: If people want to know more about the Lalo Boy Foundation, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Oh, well, right now um, they can actually reach me at the number at 480-788-4187. That's, 480-7, that's 480-788-4187. Um, and we will be glad to um, direct that to uh, you know, answer their questions regarding the program.
1: Anything else you'd like to add?
0: You know what? Every life is valuable. Every life is valuable. And um, it'll, it's coming up on four um, weeks, uh, four months that I lost my son. And he missed his 18th birthday. He was 17. And uh, for parents out there, trust me, you don't want to be a member of this club. I don't want you to be afraid to have the conversation. And to the youth out there, is you might be hurting And I get it. And I just wish I can hug you right now. And I know that your parents would want to know. But at the same time, you don't feel like you can trust them right now. Go see a trusted adult or call the hotline. But there are answers. And there are more life for you to live. So there are people that really do care about you.
1: Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Joining us now to discuss suicide prevention and intervention strategies is a parent, coach, nearly 20-year veteran of the prevention field, assist master trainer. We'll explain what that is in a moment. And Not My Kids Chief Programs Officer, Geronda Montano. Thank you so much for joining us on The Win this year.
2: Absolutely, Shane. I'm really excited to be here with you. I'm so excited you are hosting these podcasts. This is Amazing and so necessary.
1: It was meant to be. It feels like it was meant to be. (laughs) Before we get into some awareness tips and strategies related to suicide prevention and intervention, I want to explain what ASSIST is. ASSIST is an acronym that stands for Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. It's a training developed by LivingWorks and has become the industry standard for suicide intervention training. It's a two day, 14 hour workshop designed for anyone over the age of 16. You don't have to be a clinician or a behavioral health professional to take the training. I highly recommend that anyone interested in learning how to best help someone who is suicidal sign up for an assist training. Geronda and I are both assist trainers, as is Tomas Baraza, one of Not My Kid's prevention specialists, and Not My Kid's prevention manager, Sarah Grotto, facilitates Safe Talk, which is another excellent suicide prevention training created by LivingWorks. To find out more about Assist and Safe Talk or to find a training in your area, visit livingworks.net. Once again, that's livingworks.net. When talking with Paula Jordan earlier, we discussed a couple signs and symptoms related to someone having thoughts of suicide. I'd like to provide those listening with some more signs and symptoms. What should parents, family members, educators, and those who work with youth keep an eye out for? There's no
2: simple Simple, simple answer for that. And what really is important is to look for change. Change looks different from person to person, from youth to youth. And that change can come in a couple different categories. There could be physical changes, uh, behavioral changes. You might see someone isolating themselves, or you might see someone drawing themselves closer to certain groups, or um, there may be situational changes. When you think about a young person and what they're going through on a daily basis, most of the time, they're out of the house. They're not in front of their parents. And so situations that are happening at school may not be as obvious. Uh, so asking those questions about how school's going and, and what's happened during the day or any extracurricular activities they have. And um, the bottom line is when we talk about change, looking the looking in the different areas of their life to see has any change occurred. I have to point out change isn't always necessarily what looks like the obvious um, this kid may be feeling down. Change could be on the upside. It could be that a a choice has been made and now they're feeling relieved. And so they're feeling like I'm gonna change and I'm gonna reach out to a lot of people because that could be indicative of final goodbyes or something like that. So it's not, there's no simple answer, but change would be the key.
1: And I've mentioned that to some parents when I've done assist workshops or done our prevention education on this topic, sometimes it looks like a positive change. Somebody who's not normally very affectionate, giving a lot of affection, hugs and kisses, which seems like a positive thing on the right. surface, they could be saying their goodbyes. Somebody who's been in a prolonged state of depression, suddenly becoming very overjoyed, a lot of times on the surface, that can look like a great thing. And, and sometimes it is. Sometimes they have found a real solution, a healthy solution. But as you mentioned, sometimes that can be indicative of they have made that decision to end their life and they're feeling some sort of relief but not realizing that, you know, they're actually not solving the problem. It's, but they're feeling like they've finally found that solution.
2: Right. And then and that certainly can lead to those obvious or not so obvious changes because some of those that seem like, oh, yeah, this is great now, could be a, a change that's not as obvious that points to someone having thoughts of suicide. We're not even yet talking about someone who has a plan or has made an attempt, but just someone
1: maybe having that thought. And I also have mentioned to parents, sometimes it's symptoms like, uh, you know, suddenly no longer completing their homework because if you believe you're going to end your life, suddenly your history homework is not very important. Someone who's no longer doing their chores because, again, if you think your life is about to end, taking out the garbage is not that important anymore. Mm -hmm. And so – One of the most important things for parents to remember is you know your kids better than anyone. You know what is normal tone of voice, body language, facial expression, level of eye contact. You know what they look like when they come home from school and they walk in the door. Anybody can have a bad day. Anybody can have a couple bad days. But you mentioned change, and it's often change in combination, and it's often change over a prolonged period of time.
2: And that is key. A prolonged period of time, it may seem... A long time for a youth could be a week, you know, and a long time for a parent is you've had this attitude for the last two hours, are you done with it, you know, or vice versa. You know, so also determining meaning for an individual, like, you know, your child better than anyone else. And so whatever's happening, what are they making that mean? And how long are they going to allow themselves to be, to feel that way? Or, you know, so... Gosh, it, it's so individual. It's and and it really it does take that communication, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second.
1: Not only meaning, not only can meaning be two different things when it comes to the length of time, what's considered somebody struggling for a prolonged period of time, but meaning can also vary from one individual to the next as far as what is a devastating circumstance to go through. A lot of times when these stressors add up for someone who begins considering suicide, people looking at that from the outside think, well, what they're going through is not that big of a deal. And maybe in, in that outsider's perspective, it isn't. But it's like you said, it what's, it's what it means to the individual. Right? Is this a devastating loss that you've gone through? Is this something that's feeling overwhelming for you? And that's going to lead us to what, right now, one of the best ways to find out what that means to that person is to ask. Absolutely. So a lot of people are hesitant to start the conversation with someone whom they believe is suicidal because they feel like they don't know how. How do you begin that conversation?
2: You know, I find myself often in conversations with young people where I can tell there's some something going on, if I know them or not. You know, looking at facial expressions and body language, and I usually just start with a, uh, "Hey, how are you doing?" or "What's going on today?" Um, "How's your day been?" When I'm on a school campus, oftentimes, if it's after, after lunch, I'll ask, did you have lunch today? And it's just those general conversations that just gets the conversation going, those general conversation starters. And from there, based on the response, I'm looking at facial expressions, I'm looking at body language, and then I just continue on with a, can you tell me more about what's going on? And if I'm starting to hear patterns of things aren't great, um, this has been happening to me, or this always happens to me, or I never get to, when they're making sort of absolute type statements, I'll then express my concern, which sometimes sounds like, you know, when I hear people talk like that, I, it makes me think about suicide. And I'm just wondering, as it makes me think about that, is that something you've ever thought about? Or does it make you think about that? So then if that person is sent, it gives me the, no, I, it doesn't make me think about that, but, you know, they continue on. Well, then we're not talking about suicide. We're talking about whatever the situation is. If they go into, well, you know, I kind of, then I want to engage them more in that specific topic. And so that might sound like, well, if you have thought about that, when was the last time you thought about it? Or have you thought about that today or this week? And, And then we just continue on In that conversation so that's what's comfortable for me and it it doesn't feel like I'm accusing someone of anything it's just me expressing my concern and being honest
1: and if you ask them if they've been thinking about suicide and the answer is no there's no harm done no better to ask and have the answer be no than to not ask and have the answer have been yes better that we find out one way or the other and you mentioned you know, leading up to that question, which, which leads me to this, if during that conversation or before that conversation even, if you've seen and heard enough to make you think that that person may be considering suicide, what's the best way to ask them if they are thinking about suicide?
2: You definitely want to ask directly, because if you don't ask directly, they could give you an answer that sounds like something maybe similar or nothing at all, like what you thought you were hearing, but asking directly, there's so many ways, the way I just said it. Um, makes me think about suicide does that make you think about it asking sound, sounds like you're talking about death are you saying you want to die um, are you thinking about suicide are you thinking about killing yourself there's so many different ways to say it and I know that that can be intimidating for some people and the reason you want to ask directly is because if they say no I'm not thinking about hurting excuse me If they say, no, I'm not thinking about hurting myself. Well, hurting myself is very different from dying by suicide or killing myself. So it could be an evasive answer. And you want a direct answer to a direct question. So there's no question that we're talking specifically about suicide.
1: Once they've given us that yes answer, what do we do from there? How do we help them?
2: This is probably one of the most difficult parts for just human nature. Human nature is, I want to fix it. I want to help immediately. And so we jump to, how do we get you help immediately? And if we just take a little bit of a pause to hear a little bit more about what they're going through, it could give them that relief to then go with you into whatever help looks like. And you don't have to be the person who's helping. I have four kids. I've been doing this for a very long time. And I may not be the person who can help one of my kids at that very moment. And I don't have to feel like, I need to be the only person being comfortable with. Let's get you to someone who can help you right now. And if that's right now at this very moment, we need to, we may need to call together or we we may need to walk in to a place together, or I may need to give you the opportunity to do that and then reach back to me so that I can make sure that I'm still supporting you in my role. So um, getting them to the assistance that's necessary after you've listened to what's gotten them to this point.
1: So you may be the main person to help them, or you might not be. You might be the person to connect them to the person who can help them. Absolutely. And the way you started with your answer to that question really ties back into something that Powell and I really got into in our conversation, and that's listening. You started out by saying, sometimes you're not going to be able to solve all of their problems. Sometimes they don't want you to solve all of their problems. Oh, that's right. Often what they want someone to do is they want someone to listen. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: You know, I'll say, Shane, that's probably the one thing that comes up the most consistently when we're with youth in the schools. They don't feel like there's anyone listening, really listening to them. You know, they know that there's people who've heard them and who have seen their behaviors and actions. But when they need someone to listen, many of them don't feel like they have someone they could go to who would just listen doesn't mean they don't love their families, doesn't mean that they don't uh, you know, enjoy their teachers or people on their campuses. And many of them have said to us, I don't feel like anyone's really listening. So listening is critical.
1: And that really looks like what uh, Paula Jordan is attempting to do with the Lalo Boy Foundation is setting up a situation where kids can feel like they have someone that's listening to them.
2: Absolutely.
1: Anything else you'd like to add?
2: You know, as I'm thinking about some of the things that come up related to suicide because we're on so many campuses and we see thousands of teens every year uh, as well as teachers, uh, one of the things that is said often is they do hear suicide often with someone saying things like, uh, I just want to kill myself or go kill yourself. And you see it on social media. You see it in posts. It is so important that we not take those things lightly. When you hear it over and over, you kind of can get desensitized. desensitized. Yeah. And in that desensitization, it is really important that we don't step away from making that language sacred. If someone says it, you can offer to them, if, if I hear you say it, I'm going to take it seriously because I care about you. And so if you don't mean that or you don't want me to question you more about it, can you use another word? Can you say it a different way? Because if you say that, I am gonna ask more questions because I just wanna make sure that you're okay. So on school campuses, making it really known that we're not just gonna use that language lightly, we are always gonna take it seriously. Whether you intend it to be serious or not, we have to take it serious for your protection. So I I think that's really important to mention because I, I do hear people getting desensitized to just hearing that language or seeing it typed in a a post.
1: Definitely. I also know that you wanted to mention something regarding mental health in relation to the topic that we're talking about.
2: Yes, because oftentimes I'm hearing this conversation about suicide, and somewhere there's either a breakdown or a separation between suicide and mental health, and it's really important and healthy to have that conversation together. Typically someone doesn't just wake up and determine that they want to take their life it is often, most often connected to a situation that has led to some sort of mental anguish, some sort of mental strain or stress. And so as we look at the rates of teen depression and and anxiety and uh, stress, if we just look at the rates that youth are experiencing and consider that about 50% of people who, adults who are diagnosed with a mental health disorder or a mental health challenge, experience that by the age of 14 we know that mental health starts to pop up in our adolescence and in early childhood even sometimes and and when you look at the amount of adversity that some young people go through it's even higher in some communities it's even higher for some young people so it's really important to keep those two together mental health and suicide and not make that separation because we might miss things if we don't consider that, one has led to or one is correlated with the other.
1: Definitely a connection there and really important to follow up on both. Be vigilant regarding all of the above. Right. Geronda, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Thank you for being here on WIN this year.
2: Oh, and thank you for having me.
1: Before we close the show, I wanted to share one final piece of personal experience with you. In late 2013, less than a year after I had started working at Not My Kid, I had been monitoring our info at notmykid.org general email account. One day I received an email from a young lady named Brooke. She was a high school student. She had reached out to us and said she had found our website through a Google search related to self injury and related to suicide, two of the topics that we speak on. She mentioned in her email that she had been self injuring. She mentioned in her email that she had been considering suicide for quite some time. I emailed her back, I encouraged her, I congratulated her. I gave her respect for reaching out. I said, this is a great step. Thank you so much for speaking up. This is the first step toward getting the help that you need. I asked her some more questions. I wanted to find out where she was so I could connect her with resources in her area. Not only was Brooke not in Arizona, where Not My Kid is based, Brooke was not even in the United States. Brooke was in Australia. So I found out a little bit more about what city she was located in. I started finding some resources in her area, some counseling, some people to connect her to. I found out that she had a counselor available at her high school. So I started encouraging her to speak up, to reach out to these people, and I continued to hear more of her story and to build more rapport with her and to make it clear with her through email that I cared and that other people care as well. Eventually, the email stopped. And I emailed Brooke back and I said, hey, I haven't heard from you for a while. Did you connect with that counselor? Did you connect with that resource I sent you? I didn't hear anything back. So some time elapsed and I started to get concerned. I sent her another email. And I said, Brooke, listen, if you don't want to talk anymore, I completely understand that. That is your choice. Just let me know that you're okay. I never heard anything back. I began to assume the worst, as you can imagine. Nearly two years later, I received an email from Brooke. Not only was she alive, not only was she doing well, she was thriving. And in her email, she said, thank you for all the support you gave me. You stopped me from killing myself. I finally got help earlier this year like you told me to get, and it has really helped me. I'm thankful that you helped. I was not an assist trainer yet. I hadn't even taken the assist training at that point. I was barely a year into my career as a prevention specialist. But what I was able to do is I was able to listen and I was able to take the time to make it clear to Brooke that I cared, that other people cared, and that things could get better and I would be there to guide her through the process. Every single one of you listening has the same ability to do that. And I wanna encourage you to stop someone from suicide, to prevent or to intervene, You don't have to be a superhero. You have to be willing, you have to be willing to take the time to listen and to be there for that person. Every one of us is capable of doing that. For anyone listening to this episode who is dealing with thoughts of suicide or is helping someone who is, I want to encourage you. There is help available. There are people who care. I have three crisis line numbers to give you that are related to the topic that we're talking about here today. First is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-TALK. That is 1-800-273-8255. The next one is Teen Lifeline, one 800 248 That's 1-800-248-8336. And finally, the third one is the Crisis Text Line. You can text the word LISTEN to 741-741. Once more, text the word LISTEN to 741-741. If you are dealing with thoughts or feelings of suicide, please tell someone. Whether it's somebody that's close to you or it's one of these crisis lines, please speak up. Please reach out for help. These crisis lines are 24-7, 365. They're free and they're anonymous. Once again, we'd like to thank Paula Jordan for being willing to share her time, experience, and insight with us. If you're interested in contacting Paula or learning more about the Lalo Boy Foundation, she can be reached at area code 480-788-4187. Once again, that's 480-788-4187. Thanks also to Not My Kid Chief Programs Officer, Geronda Montano, And our sponsor, First Check. More information on First Check is available at firstcheckfamily.com. Those interested in learning more about assist or safe talk, suicide prevention, and intervention workshops can visit the Living Works website at livingworks.net. That's livingworks.net. You can find out more about Not My Kid at our website located at notmykid.org. That's notmykid.org on Facebook under Not My Kid, on Twitter under Not My Kid tweets, and on Instagram under notmykid.org and that is with the dot spelled out notmykid.org on Instagram. All this information will be included in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to subscribe, spread the word about Win This Year and let us know what you think. Once again, I'm Shane Watson, public information officer and prevention specialist for Not My Kid. Thank you for listening to Win This Year. Be sure to look for our next episode coming next week.